Hey there. Thanks for joining us at Risen King Church for our weekly podcast. We pray you meet God and know that you are loved today. Be sure to visit us at risenking.life to take all of your next steps and follow us on Facebook, Instagram, and YouTube. Enjoy the message. Good morning. We're continuing a, a study of just Romans chapter 12 as we go into the second month of this new year. I want, you to, I want you to think about a few things with me before we read our text. The first is this. Paul has spent 11 chapters, and the basis of those 11 chapters are to tell you that you mean everything to God. And the reason that's so important is the degree to which you understand how precious you are to God is the only way that you'll be able to respond to what Paul asked of you in Romans 12. You see, if you're still trying to mean something to God or to get God's approval, or if you're just you're trying in some way to get some kind of leverage with God, what's going to be asked of you in this chapter will be too much. It'll crush you. It'll show you how imperfect you are it will show you how failing and broken you are but it will not it will not prop up your ego so until you get to the place where you're no longer a religious person but you're actually a person who says i mean everything to god i mean everything to god because he gave what means everything for me i mean think about certain verses if god is for you that means you mean everything to God. Who will bring a charge against you? Only Jesus could, and he didn't bring a charge against you. He went to the cross to take your charges for you. You mean everything to God. And so the problem with many of us is we're still trying to figure out, what does God want me to do? And if in your mind that is, what, do, what does God want me to do so that he'll love me, then you haven't understood the gospel. And you really are not yet at the place of being a Christian. You're only a Christian when you realize God has done everything for me because I mean everything to God. And then everything after that becomes a response. Now, let, let me put it in, a, in, in almost like a mathematical term. For 11 chapters, Paul tells you everything God has done for you. In those 11 chapters, there may be three commands. Maybe there are three imperatives altogether because he is so emphasizing what God has done for you because you mean everything, because you're precious to him. But now when we turn to chapter 12, and Paul says, because you mean everything to God, now in chapter 12, there are 100 commands. So for 11 chapters, three commands. 12th chapter, 100 commands in one chapter. You see, if you don't already know you mean everything to God, this chapter will utterly crush you. Some people sometimes say, well, Jesus is just a good example. Let me tell you something. If Jesus is your example, you have failed. You are broken. Because his example doesn't inspire you, it crushes you. And until you know that you're everything to Jesus, you can't begin to say, okay, now what do I do? 
Now, the, the last thing as we read this together is this. God is never asking you to make sacrifices. You're like, what? Come on, you've got to listen to me. God is never asking you to make sacrifices. He's asking you to be the sacrifice. See, if, you're, if, if it's about you making sacrifices, you're still in control. You're doling out. Here, God, look what I did for you. I prayed today. Big, hairy deal. Who cares? Oh, look, God, how much money I gave last year. So what? Who cares? Because if you do it for that, you're still saying, God, don't I mean something to you? God, won't, won't you owe me because I did this for you? See, if you're making sacrifices, you haven't understood his sacrifice for you. But if you've understood his sacrifice means that you're precious to him and you mean everything to him, then you say to him, Lord, I will be a living sacrifice. And you know what Paul says about being a living sacrifice? Paul says it's reasonable. Well, it can only be reasonable if you're everything to him. I'm glad we recorded this because I really like what I'm saying right now. <laughs> I'm not sure I've heard anyone else ever say it this way. See, it was worth coming out in whatever snow there might be. All right, I know it's heavy. That's why I'm making jokes right now. Are you hearing me, though? Then why are you worrying? If you're everything to God, then aren't you more than the sparrows? Aren't you more than the lilies? The Son of God didn't die for the sparrows. And yet you and I think, oh, God, you're going to let me down this year. You're going to let my business fail. You're going to let my marriage fail. Oh, God, you're not going to keep my health. And we go not from the idea, God, you've given me everything. You, you think of me as everything. We go to, God, but I don't have this. And God, this isn't working out. Do you understand? Until you see that he sees you as everything, then you'll keep trying to hold everything together. And when you're trying to hold everything together, you don't have the capacity to be the person that you really want to be. Uh-oh. Technology is not working for me. I hate it when it does this. It's way too much of a test of my patience. Remember, circumstances don't produce, they reveal. And sometimes what's revealed is not very pretty. Is it going to work now? If not, I'm going to... It's working? Hallelujah. <laughs> I wish that part wasn't taped. All right. Are you guys ready to read with me? I like it when we as a church read God's word out loud. Let's read together. Let love be genuine, abhor what is evil, hold fast to what is good. Love one another with brotherly affection. Outdo one another in showing honor. Do not be slothful in zeal. Be fervent in spirit. Serve the Lord. 
Rejoice in hope. Be patient in tribulation. Be constant in prayer. Contribute to the needs of the saints and seek to show hospitality. Bless those who persecute you. Bless and do not curse them. Rejoice with those who rejoice. Weep with those who weep. Live in harmony with one another. Do not be haughty, but associate with the lowly. Never be wise in your own sight. Do you understand that every single one of these is a command? You, you understand what I was saying? Eleven chapters, three commands, few verses, 40 commands. See, if you don't know that he believes you're everything, you'll say, God, this is too much. And the truth is, you don't see this in churches because they don't know that God treats them as everything, as precious. And so they're, they're, they're trying to get those little scraps of love, drunk on self, intoxicated with self, not recognizing that for all eternity, when you come to Jesus, not only do you belong to Jesus, you belong to us. That's not the easiest thing in American culture. We're all individualistic. We even like to put our families kind of on the side because if it's to be, it's up to me. And yet the Bible says, no, I no longer belong to myself. You see, you cannot love this way from a distance. <laughs> this is more than a Facebook like or a Facebook friend. This is becoming a sacrifice but you see you can say and I've seen people oh Lord I will sacrifice for you but not for them and yet Paul says if you're not sacrificing for him till you're sacrificing for them so let's look at these together you're, you're pretty sorry you came out in the snow aren't you so we, we look at these exhortations, these commands, and basically the floodgates have opened. But then he says, here's the measure of you understanding how precious you are to God is how precious you treat others. And he says, here's true love, okay? There's three imperatives about true love. Be sincere. Hate evil. Cling to what is good. Now, here's the interesting thing. I grew up in a very doctrinal church. Probably can't figure that out, right? I grew up in a very theologically oriented, intellectually oriented church. And so they, they took this verse and said, hate what is evil, and just were angry all the time at the world. And then they said, we're clinging to what was good, and they just taught and taught us against them. Do you understand? That's ripping this out of context. Because you can be right and not be loving. And what, what Paul is saying is the same as Jesus taught. It's dangerous to be right. Because often it just strokes your pride. So that you begin to think you're superior to others. Do you understand the Apostle Paul was right his whole life? And he counted it as dung. 
Because you know what being right made him? It made him afraid of people who were different from him. And it made, it, made him hate people who didn't believe like him. Doesn't sound like today at all, right? We live in a very loving, stable environment. We all absolutely agree. We're all coming from the same place. We're all on the same page. Not. Right? You see, the Apostle Paul's words are for every period of history. And it isn't, are you right? And they're wrong. The question is, does your heart have capacity for true love? Let me say it to you in a way that only the Holy Spirit can bring home to you. This kind of love cannot be produced by you. It exists outside of you. It is a love you can't create. Now, there are things that he's going to ask you to do that you can do. But first, you have to realize you're loved with this kind of love before you can give this kind of love away. And what that love looks like is it's genuine. It's sincere. As a matter of fact, look at this. The word he uses for sincere is the word unhypocritical. Now, in other words, he's saying you can't be phony in your dealings with people. You can't just be polite. Well, I mean, most of you are from New York, so that's not really a problem. <laughs> Every now and then, I just have to get you. See, I grew up in a polite society where people hated each other. I love it if you hate me, you'll tell me. You know, in the South, where I grew up, you just, you, you smile and you say, man, you're ugly, bless your heart. Man, you're dumb as dirt, but bless your heart. You know, and you say it as if you're being nice and you realize, wow. I mean, I heard, I heard a woman one time say to another woman, man, you look so much prettier since you straightened your buck teeth. You understand that's not really a compliment. It's an insult. But you see, it's phony. Because if you call somebody on stuff like that, they're like, but I was being nice. And Paul said, no, you're being hypocritical. You're being insincere. Sometimes people say it this way. Oh, but I was being honest. Yeah, but you were being hypocritical. You were not being sincere. You were not doing it out of love for the person. You were doing it for yourself. Do you see why I'm saying you cannot do this in your own strength? In your own strength, your love is hypocritical. Because you're always thinking, what will they think about me if I say this? What will they think about me if I do this? And, and it comes from the past of being hurt, being rejected. And so all of us have a naturally hypocritical love. All of us naturally hold back. Now, I've learned over the course of my life, I'm not terribly diplomatic. I'm not that tactful. I'm very direct. That's my natural way of communicating. I married the most diplomatic, tactful, loving person. I have been kicked out of churches, and they said, but Lisa can come back. 
So I had to learn. I had to learn a, a lot about diplomacy and, and tact and things like that. Here's the thing that I love about my wife, though, is that she's doing it because she loves you. She's not doing it so that she's okay. And it's a totally different, because I used to see people who were, who were tactful and diplomatic because they were lying, because they were manipulating. And Paul says, it can't be hypocritical if it's God's love. It can't be that you're nice on the outside, but angry on the inside and hateful. If you're hateful, that's who you are, because you see, what God sees is not just your actions, but your heart. And he sees if it's about you or if it's about them. Love has to be about the other person. Secondly, he says, both negatively, he says, hate, hate what is evil, cling to what is good. In other words, what he's saying is you can't just make up love. Love has to flow along the lines of God's will. So it must operate according to God's moral order. We must literally be horrified by what God calls evil, and then we must cling, which means we glue ourselves to what God calls good. Well, why is this so important? Because when we love someone, our love for them often distorts our view of good and evil. You know, I mean, you think about it in the love songs that are sung. You, the person becomes so enmeshed in their beloved that they don't want to hurt their feelings. They become so enmeshed in the beloved that, that they will do even things that are against their own conscience because they want to keep the other person happy. It's always fascinating to me when, when that kind of infatuation, that kind of bondage, not love, friends, that kind of infatuated bondage ends. And the person says, I can't communicate with you because I've been walking on eggshells my whole life with you. Now, it's interesting because I, I often do marriage counseling at this point. And, and it's fascinating how, how, how unaware people are that they have not ever loved each other. But they've just been enmeshed in their, each other's dysfunction. And it's also fascinating that when one partner or one member of a family starts to get healthy, everybody wants to bring them back to the dysfunction. Am I bringing this home to you? Do you understand what the Bible's saying? Hate what is dysfunctional because it's evil. Cling to what is healthy because you need to be glued to what is good. And you cannot even allow family or any other relationship to keep you from what is true love because if you get the false form of love, it'll only deplete you anyway. And then one day you'll wake up and go, I've never been able to talk to this person. I've never been loved by this person. This relationship has always been about him or her, not about me. And you might decide, I'm angry at them for getting me into this position, but they were that way when you began. You notice it doesn't say, tell other people to hate what is evil. What it's saying is, you are the one who has control over you. Now, you might say, as we go along, and we probably won't get to all of these, but as we go along, you might say, but if I start to live this way, is anybody else going to live this way? It doesn't matter. 
This is the kind of love that is drawing not on people, but on heaven. Remember what I said at the beginning. Either God, you know that God says you're everything to me, or you're saying, God, you know what you have for me is okay, but I really want this husband. Or I really want these children. Or I really want this position at the job. And, and God says, I'm not going to be the resource to your idolatry. And anytime you see something like that in your life, you are, you are revealing it's not true love that you're living in, but hypocritical love. And it will destroy you. Are you tracking with me in this? So this sincere love, uh, there was a writer by the name of uh, Rebecca Pippert. I mean, some people call it tough love. I, I don't know that I like that phrase exactly. I would say honest, or I would keep to the idea of unhypocritical. But she, they kind of call it tough love, some people. Think of how we feel when we see someone we love ravaged by unwise actions or relationships. Real love stands against the deception, the lie, the sin that destroys. I haven't had to do this a lot, but I've done it enough that it puts a huge impression on me. Where I've had to bury people who overdosed. Where I've had to officiate the funeral of people who have taken their own lives. You understand, love does not allow a person to continue to make decisions that are going to destroy them. Love does not enable, love does not become the dealer of counterfeit needs being met or real needs being met in counterfeit ways. Even if the relationship is ended, the relationship is ended not because they stopped giving you what you wanted, but because you stopped giving them what they wanted. That feels important that we get this. Because Paul is saying, otherwise, you're just, you're basically the assistant to their destruction. And you're calling it love. God will never be the assistant to your destruction. That's why many of your prayers are answered no. Because you're praying for the success of your idol, which will lead to your destruction. And because God's love is not hypocritical, he says, I love you, so I can't say yes to that. So that means that we have to be concerned about the truth and we're not afraid to confront. Paul is basically saying that if you really love someone, you will confront them. But you're not doing it out of selfishness you're doing it for their sake I, I have found even as a leader or as someone who has supervisory roles over people that, I, that oftentimes people that are under my supervision will disappoint me they will not meet expectations and the younger version of me would just be angry because they didn't meet my agenda they didn't meet my standards and I would I would go and yell at them. You understand, it wasn't, I wasn't going to, to them about them. I was going them, to them because of me. And when I started realizing that, I started realizing I was doing that with my kids. 
particularly my son, as he was growing up, I had these dreams for him. I had these agendas for him. I looked at him and saw all the things I couldn't do that he, he had better do. And so I pushed him and I yelled at him and I punished him and I did all these things and I'm looking, I was looking at my life more realistically through this lens that we're talking about. I wasn't confronting my son because of my son, I was confronting my son because of me. I wasn't confronting those that worked under me because of, because of their issues, I was really confronting them because they were making me look bad. And when you put it that way, you begin to realize most of us do not live in truth. And then we wonder why we have so little capacity for love. Because the Holy Spirit who baptizes you with the love of God is also called the spirit of truth. So you won't experience an ounce of his love till you're willing to experience an ounce of his truth. And most of us love to live in a fantasy that we're a lot better than we actually are or we're a lot worse than we actually are. It kind of, it kind of cracks me up how people deal with trouble. Some people undersell. Some people oversell. Which one are you? Depends on the situation maybe, right? In my household growing up, my, my mother, she had five kids. We were only seven years apart. She wanted us out of the house as much as possible. So we would come in, I mean, snot dripping, you know, sneezing nasty, and she'd go, go to school. And you realize, you come in and say, Mom, I have a cold. Oh, cold? Go to school. Go on. You'll be all right. Spread it around the class. Go ahead. <laughs> So what we, would, what we would do is we would we'd start going, but mom, I'm dying. Because <laughs> now, you know, you, she's not hearing you have a cold. She's got to hear you're going to die right now. You're going to expire. <laughs> so now when I get sick, I go to Lisa, I'm dying, honey. <laughs> I'm dying. You understand there I oversell, right? I'm overselling. Why? Because it didn't feel like I was listened to. So now I have to make it, oh, it's so awful, it's so terrible. Of course I have to take a day off. But I'm still hearing my mom in the back of my head saying, go to school, it's just a cold. <laughs> now we have COVID, we all stay home. <laughs> am I, am I tr are you tracking with me in this? Do you understand why I'm saying to you this will crush you? Unless first you go, I am everything to God. Because I, by pointing these things out to you, we, our own lives are exposed. And we think we're so loving, but we're not. We're very distant people. We keep ourselves safe. We use the people who are convenient to us. And... Those that we really, really value will do anything to keep their love, even tell them lies and enable their lives. And Paul is saying, that's not love. That's not what a loving person does. Now, what about those people that are really hard to love? Because Paul's talking about those kind of people. How do you deal with people in a sincere way that you really do not love? 
Uh, that might work. But there's more. There's, there's a way of praying, you see. There's a way of going at this that's very different. And, and part of it is that you begin to ask the question, why don't I love that person? Why does that person rub me the wrong way? You understand, and many times in your life, God is going to put somebody in your life as a mirror to you. And their pride's going to bristle your pride. And their, their attitudes and their actions, they're going, to, they're going to make something rise up in you that says, this is, this is disgusting, this is, this is unfair, this is unjust. And, he could, and, and it could be a boss, it could be a teacher, it could be a friend of a friend, it could be a co-worker, it could be anybody. And, and, and the Bible here is saying, you don't get to exclude them because you don't like them. But it also says you can't fake it till you make it. So what does Paul suggest when you despise someone, when you don't like someone? Well, what he's really talking about is that idea of going back to, have I really sacrificed myself to Christ as Christ has sacrificed himself to me? And if I begin to do that, I begin to realize there's all these areas of my life that I'm still repenting of. There's all these areas of my life that I'm still needing freedom in. This is not an easy thing to do in a church setting. It doesn't matter how hard we try, we all come off religious in some way or another. And we think about the sacrifices that we've made, the areas we've had growth in, and then you look at other people and you say, man, I used to be like that, but I'm not like that anymore. Thank God or something. You know, you start to compare yourself favorably to these other people. And when you do that, it puts you in a position of superiority. And you start to believe you're, you're more deserving of God making you everything, but they're not. And so one of the things that, that has to happen is you have to stay in touch with the fact that you will be repenting of where you're not in alignment with the holiness of God for the rest of your life. That whatever unattractiveness you have overcome in the past, it wasn't because you're smarter than somebody else. It wasn't because you're more loved than somebody else, but it is because you are everything to God. If you were able to overcome a substance abuse, if you were able to overcome being prejudiced, if you were able to overcome you know, an area of sexual immorality, it is not to your glory. If it is to your glory, then you're still not a Christian. Because everything in your life is because you are everything to God, not because you've done everything to become everything to God. And so there's this idea that I find with so many Christians, they get to a certain point of growth, they stop, and their hearts get hardened again, and they begin to compare themselves favorably to others. Either that their doctrine is better, or their lifestyle is better, or their sacrifices are more. The day you stop to compare is the day you harden your heart. But the day you keep repenting, and if something comes up where you're hating somebody, you don't go, oh, I just don't like them. 
No, you go, why is there hatred in my heart towards this person? This is an area where I have to find what's going on here so that I can repent. Let me, I'll put it very personally. So as a young pastor, I started pastoring churches when I was 24 years old. I had my first pastorate. And uh, I wanted to be good at it. I lived and died on whether they said that was a good sermon or not. And so I can remember working on it so hard that I was still up at 4 a.m. on Sunday morning getting the last touches on a sermon because I wanted it to be so perfect. And then to hear somebody say, that was great, preacher. And that's what they say in Mississippi. That was a great preacher. <laughs> and I go, oh, how many times did I hear that today? It took a while to realize I wasn't preaching because I loved them. I was preaching so they would love me. So even if nine out of ten people said it was good, the only one that mattered was the one out of the ten that didn't like it. Because my goal was to make them all love me. And one of them didn't, so I had not reached my goal. Please listen to me on this. When you make your life about other people loving you, they can always block you. But when you have decided God has called me to love them, then no one can block you. And if you're struggling to love somebody, you got to look because that's the place where the repentance and the hardness of heart is most evident. Because guess what? They're probably not going to change. And if all things are orchestrated by the Holy Spirit in your life, they're there to point out something that you don't want to see. And so instead of going, man, oh God, take thou thy holy hand grenade and smite this person. <laughs> you look and say, what's in my heart that says this person is unattractive to me? What's in my heart that says this person is dangerous to me? What's in my heart that says this person is not worth my time or my love? Now, I'm not saying then you go and say, best friends, I mean, it'd be like hugging a porcupine. Don't do that. Be smart. Be wise. The thing is to look and say, what is it in me that makes me unable to love him or her? Because the goal isn't to make him or her love me. The goal is I can love them. Oh, come on. I, I, I can. This can change your life. You understand? I mean, I love it when you respond to me, and I push so you'll respond to me. But I can tell you with 100% truth, every time I come in here, I come in thinking of how to love you. Because other words, it'll just be me scolding you, and that won't work. Because I know I'm breaking your toes if you listen. I'm stepping on your feet. Because truth hurts. But it is so much more powerful truth if it comes from someone who says, I see this happening in your life and I want the best for you. And you know what's weird? Is when you give like that, people give back way more. 
than when you try to do it yourself and make them love you. So, the softening of the heart has to take place. You can't let the heart harden. You can't steal it so that nobody can hurt you. There has to be this softening, this repenting. I'd like for you, we're, we're going to close this, our service, but I'd like for you to think, are there people in your life where you've hardened your heart? Are there people in your life that you said, I don't have to love them because they're unlovable? Will you remember this with me? Romans 5 says, you were unlovable. That God commended his love towards you when you were unlovable. When there was nothing attractive about you. That God commended his love. God said you were everything when really you were nothing. So now he's asking, will you treat others in the same way you've been treated? And will you look at and say, God, I have not taken this deep enough. Have you made sure that you're clinging to what is good? Even if it means someone else misunderstands you. Someone else maybe doesn't like you. But you love them too much to cling to what is evil for them. Have you learned in your own life to to hate, to abhor to have distaste for what is evil, not because you want to show everybody else how good you are, but because you've come to understand and experience real love. Let that love be without hypocrisy, it says. And the only way I've ever found that I could do that is that I look at you and I look at the people in my life the way that God looks at the people in my life. If somebody was worthy of the Son of God, then they're worthy of me. And you understand the reality of that? It means it doesn't matter what their economic position is. It doesn't matter what their social status is. It doesn't matter which culture they come from. It doesn't matter the ethnicity. God has made every, every tongue, every tribe. He has made them the object of his everything. How can I do any less when I became the object of his everything? If we could all just come to our feet. As um, Pastor Mike was speaking, I was reminded of a philosophy class I took in college. Um, we spoke about this Christian philosopher named Kierkegaard. Um, and he, he was alive in the 1800s, so they would go to the theater to watch plays and stuff. And at that time, there was this box, and when the actors would forget their lines, there would be this prompter that would give the lines on the stage. And he talked about this analogy of the theater and the church being similar. And naturally... We think we're in the audience. Someone like P. Mike is on the stage and God is the prompter. But if we're supernaturally seeing things, we recognize the fact that it's God that's in the audience. We're the ones that's on the stage. Someone like P. Mike, he's the prompter. 
audience of one. If, if, we, if we are living for anybody other than Jesus, we're not living the right way. And so that's my prayer for you, you guys today. So if you guys can close your eyes, bow your heads. Father God, we want to be a people who walk in step with your spirit, that love and alignment with your will. For that is what it truly means to be a Christian. And that is what the world needs to see. It needs to see a people who follow you in love, that love what you love, that hate what you hate, whose hearts beat for what makes your hearts beat, which is everyone, and whose hearts break for what breaks yours. Father, only you can turn us to that, that type of people. Only you can fill us with that zeal. And so I ask today that your spirit would land in this room and wherever someone is tuned in, whether it's now or someone's watching this video months from now, Lord, would your spirit fall, fill, prompt, and may we live for you and for you alone. Because when we do that, we live for those around us. And that sounds like a life worth living. So we ask that you'd come, that you'd have your way. We see what you are doing. And we pray this all in the name of the Father, the Son, and the Holy Spirit.